HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. I'm Bryce Bayaki, a reporter and intern for HRN. Today, we're asking just what is the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, and how do we navigate the USDA's most important relief program amid the pandemic? By now, many farmers and individuals in the agricultural sector have probably heard of and applied for the USDA's Coronavirus Food Assistance Program, or CFAP for short. But since issuing its first payments in early June, some farmers have been left out of the $16 billion program that provides relief for farms that have experienced a 5% or greater price loss due to the pandemic. Today, we learn about the ins and outs of CFAP from Eric Diebel, the policy director for the advocacy organization, the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. He recently appeared on episode 311 of What Doesn't Kill You with Katie Kiefer. And CFAP is is a two-part program. There's two components. The first is the Food Box Program, which is a program whereby USDA procures food from farmers, has them packaged into packages and boxes that are then given to emergency feeding organizations, uh, food banks and food pantries. And so that's about $3 billion worth of procurement and transfer. And then there's about $16.5 billion that are direct payments that are made to farmers. And these are to compensate farmers for price loss for eligible commodities that resulted from the coronavirus pandemic. USDA has a lot of money that they need to push out and they need to do it quickly. And so they created a program that was fairly simple in its construction. It pays folks based on the loss of price of a commodity that they grew. And the payments that they make is the amount of that loss times the amount of that commodity that you produced. And that's that calculates your payment. So if you think about it, if you are a large farmer with a simple rotation, maybe growing corn and beans in rotation, you only need to have two prices for two different crops. The problem comes in when you are not that large, simple rotation producer. Let's say you grow 20 different crops and you sell into five different markets. 
Well, you've got a hundred different price points that you would want to keep track of. And let's say you pivoted from direct market to uh, a delivery CSA and incorporated uh, incorporated new tools, new boxes, new washing stations into your delivery system, and then incurred a bunch of transportation costs in order to stay in business. USDA doesn't look at any of that, right? If they do not give any way for you to demonstrate the actual losses or the actual costs that you incurred as it relates to coronavirus, there's no way that you can bring them receipts. And if one of those 20 commodities that you grow isn't in the list of 44 approved commodities, then you don't get paid. And there's some big things in there. There's a lot of products in there that just don't appear. Farmers who have eligible commodities can use the USDA's payment calculator to see how much they can benefit from the program. While many commodities like eggs, poultry, and hemp are ineligible, those farms can appeal to the USDA to make additions to that list. Links to the USDA's list of eligible commodities can be found in the episode's show notes. And so now you've got a bunch of folks that are coming into the height of their growing season, trying to you know get things in the ground, pull things out of the ground, deliver their crops to market. Uh, and now USDA is saying, if you would like to include additional commodities on this list of eligible commodities, say kale, something that you know lots and you know, farmers grow, please provide all the pricing data that you have to demonstrate the losses that you had so that we can consider adding this to the eligible list of commodities when we'll go ahead and make the determination of how much we think that was worth. And so you get this situation where the burden borne by the diversified smaller producers is much, much greater than the burden faced by the larger folks that have simpler rotations. While the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program has helped many farms, Diebel is concerned that some growers will be excluded from receiving payments or will receive much less than they need due to their business model. It has been shown that in previous compensation programs, uh, particularly the market facilitation program, which looks a lot like the CFAT program in a lot of ways, that some producers were dramatically overcompensated for the actual losses that they incurred. And I don't know what the pricing data that USDA used when they calculated their payment rates. And many farmers are complaining that they are much too low and they don't actually compensate them fully. But there, there are some folks who will, uh, will receive a very large payment from the CFAP program. It, it, is, it is a real shortcoming of the program that it does not recognize the additional value that some farmers earn on, on their crops and on their products. Um, in the interest of creating a program that is simple and efficient to administer, the USDA did not include any additional value premiums, as you say, for things like organic or products that are sold at local and regional markets or grass-fed or any of the other sort of things that might help one farmer set their product apart from, from others. And, and that's really disappointing because if you invest in your operation to make it more sustainable to, to make processes more environmentally benign or more humane, that costs money. And ordinarily, a farmer will expect to be compensated for that by going directly to a customer or consumer who feels strongly about that production system or strongly about the relationship with that farmer, and they're willing to pay a bit more. And, and that direct premium 
that that farmer would would obtain is exactly what helps them afford to be more sustainable or be more humane. And without that premium, there's going to be a lot of folks that that suffer this year. USDA doesn't have the greatest track record when it comes to meeting the needs of farmers of color, uh, young farmers. Um, folks that are farming in a different way than uh, like a conventional producer. So these are folks that are you know, maybe producing organically or grass-fed or have a sustainability at the core of their production system. That is not uh, a constituency that USDA has always engaged fully uh, and sometimes discriminated against actively. And so if you are a diversified small farmer and you're going to try to you know, make an application for this program, and you have to go into the FSA office maybe for the first time, maybe that's another barrier to entry. Uh, And so there's lots of challenges for the smaller, lower resource farmers in accessing this, this aid. Despite the challenges and limitations of the program, farmers can receive payments and compensation by other means, like the crop insurance and revenue support programs. Farms can take advantage of the USDA's Agricultural Risk Coverage and Price Loss Coverage programs, as well as the Payment Protection Program, which is now accepting applications through August 8th. Links for information about these programs can be found in the show notes below. So this is not, by any stretch of the imagination, the only opportunity for folks to be compensated on the value of that crop over this growing year. The USDA has extended the online and by mail CFAP application deadline through August 28th. To learn more about CFAP, to fill out an application or calculate how much you could be compensated, go to their website, farmers.gov forward slash CFAP. And don't forget to look in the show notes for links to resources including the USDA's list of eligible commodities. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's superfruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their bright red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile make them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at choosecherries.com. Thanks for listening to The Big Food Question. Stick around to hear what makes our show possible. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks for this episode to Eric Diebel and Katie Kiefer. You can check out Katie on her HRN podcast, What Doesn't Kill You. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Moseman-Wadler, Kat Johnson, Hannah Forden, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, Luke Griffin, and Jenny Dorsey. This episode's executive producer is me, Bryce Bayaki. The audio engineer is Kevin Chang Barnum. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast.
the content of the series is provided for general information only, and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org 